Acts 22, 6 through 10. If you are there, please say amen. Good. Beginning in verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. There in Acts 22, in verse 10, at the end, it says, And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. We see that in-depth conversation between Christ and Saul in Acts chapter 26. Okay, so I want to make that very clear to you. You're going to see that in Acts chapter 26 that we're going to look at not this morning, but later on. Okay, Uh, last week we spoke about the persecution that came by way of Saul to the people of what? Who were the people? What were they called by? The way. They were called by the way. This is, what, this is how they were identified, the New Testament church. Before they were called the church, they were called the way. Why were they called the way? Because of Jesus Christ. They followed him. They talked like him. They acted like him. They wanted to be like him. They were following his example, which was the way. The Christians. We also went traveling down the Damascus Road for just a moment where Jesus appears to Saul. In this text, Jesus appears to Saul. And I'm recapping just a little because there's three texts here. Acts 9, 22, and 26. I feel necessary to recap just a touch of last week. For the first time in in Acts 9, 5, this Saul of Tarshish, for the first time in his life, He comes face to face with the reality of who he truly is. He comes face to face with the reality that he is a sinner. Bowing and trembling next to the true light of life, Jesus Christ. He can't help but to fall before the Lord, to bow before the Lord. And so the scripture stands, every knee shall what? Bow. And here, this, this man Saul had the privilege, this is why he's an apostle, had the privilege of the Lord coming to him, before him. And the scripture teaches us that at the sight of Jesus, what? Every knee will bow. We see it through his word fulfilled. Saul, for the first time, is now understanding what the law is all about. He had been uh, an advocate for the law to the letter. 
He was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the smartest and the best. He kept everything that he could keep. And it was here, but it wasn't here. It was in his head, but it wasn't in his heart. And for the first time, this is applied to his heart. The law is applied. He is now seeing through his blindness. He's now seeing through his blindness the fulfillment of the law in Jesus Christ. And this is so important that we understand. He is struck with blindness. He has stopped. The Lord shuts him down on the road to Damascus. He gets his attention. This is what I believe to be the beginning work of salvation, conversion in Saul's life. Worked by Jesus upon the life and the heart of Saul. And we know that before a person can ever be saved, they must first have an understanding of sin. I see road signs all the time that say, you know, (laughs) choose Jesus because hell is hot. It's always talking about hell, always talking about hell. Hell is the punishment. The reason why we need Jesus is because of what puts us in hell, and that is sin. And this is the problem in today's society. Before a person can ever be saved... They have to understand sin. They have to understand its filthiness, its burden, its shame, its guilt. And Saul didn't understand that. Yes, he knew the law. Yes, he knew it to the letter. But it never came home to his heart until now. So the scripture reads... The law is what? It's our principal or our schoolmaster to Christ, right? So the law shows us our sin. It shows us our faults. And when it is applied by the work of the Holy Spirit, it causes discomfort. It causes an awestruck. It causes, man, guilt and shame and just a horror in a person's heart. This is a work that cannot be done by man, but rather God. Don't forget that Jesus came down to him and appeared to him, not the other way around. Saul was not looking for Jesus at this moment. We understand that, right? The Lord came down to Saul and made himself manifest to Saul. Not everybody else that was around him, just to Saul. And last week we looked at that, how that was personal to Saul. Here the Lord comes to him to bring him to life. Saul was dead. Spiritually, he was dead. You ever seen a dead man get up out of the grave by himself? You ever seen another person call another man out of the grave by himself? The only person that we see that in 
is Jesus. That's it. He is the author of life for a reason. He is the resurrection and the life for a reason. He rose from the dead and he can call people out from the dead. Physically, but yet more than that, spiritually. He has that power and he can do it. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing on this road to Damascus. And so we see that mercy starts. Mercy starts work in Saul. That conversion, that work of conversion in Saul begins right here. So what's happening? Saul is awakened to know his sin and utter helplessness. This is what's taking place in his heart. He's awakened to know his sin. He's awakened to know his utter helplessness. Saul was blinded physically. And in that blindness, his eyes spiritually were made alive. Which sounds very bizarre and odd, but it's true. He was blinded physically so that in his blindness, his eyes could be made spiritually alive. I can't imagine this instance being all that different than that in the garden. I mean, I think it was because this is what happens to all of us. All of those that have been regenerated, converted, born again, it goes through this process. It happened in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Sin entered the world through disobedience. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed, the eyes of their understanding were what? When they broke the law, what happened? Their eyes of their understanding were what? Opened. And they came to life. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. Very literally, they were made alive to feel and to understand sin, which in turn started the dying process. Hence the verse that I keyed in on last week in Romans 7 and verse 9. Sin came to life and I died. And this is the truth of Scripture. But to get a full understanding of this conversion and what happened in this text, you have to look at 9, 22, and 26. This is why we're in chapter 22. Beginning in verse 10, it says this, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? In this whole dialogue between Saul and Jesus... This question to me speaks volumes more than anything else. Absolute volumes. After Saul in verse 5 says, Who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Saul's response is what? Next, what shall I do, Lord? Saul's heart was trembling. He's trembling from the acknowledgement of sin. He was trembling in fear from the very presence of God. And he was trembling in fear because he knew 
Or he now knows that all the work that he had done in zeal was done against Jesus of Nazareth. Can you imagine how scared this man must have been? All the work that he had done consenting to the death of Stephen, rounding up people and slaughtering them, all the work that he had done in the, done in the name of religion, he is now seeing that he is doing it and has done it against Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, God with us in the flesh. He's trembling in fear. He's broken. Believe you me. Saul, if he could have got under the dirt at this moment, he would have. You hear me? To get away from the righteousness and the presence of the Lord. It scared him to death. It it caused him to fall to the ground. It caused him to be humiliated because of the work that he had done against the Lord. So what does the question show us? Like most Baptist preachers, (laughs) I got three points. (laughs) And let me go over them real quick with you. What is the question? What what does the question show us? What will you have me to do? What shall you have me to do, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? I'm going to give you three points. The first one, and I don't want you to ever forget this, because those of you that are continuing to pray for your lost loved ones, remember that this can take place in an instant. The first one is this. That in an instant and very quickly, the Lord can break the heart of man. That gives me hope for people that I love that don't know him. Yes, we're to pray for them. Yes, we're to share the gospel with them. But it is the Lord who does the work. And And he alone is the only one that can work the heart. Everybody follow? He, in an instant, can break the hardest of hearts. And he can break it into pieces. Into so many pieces, only he's the one that is able to put those pieces back together. And fashion into something new. The hardest of hearts is shattered before the Lord. And the coldest of ice is melted by the Son of God. Listen to what Jeremiah 23 and 29 says. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? Folks, what I want you to see this morning is that Saul, right here, his hard, cold heart was being melted and it was being broken by the power of God. And there is still hope for your loved ones. There is still hope for those people in your life that you love that need Jesus. The Lord can melt them down. He can break them them to pieces. Here at this moment, Saul is, is humble. And at this moment, we see him submitting To the Lord's will. What shall I do, Lord? 
See, this question speaks volumes. It speaks so many statements that we can't uncover them all on a Sunday morning. What shall I do, Lord? Posed as a question, but speaking as a statement. What shall I do, Lord? Says, I'm yours. What shall I do, Lord? Says, whatever you would have me to do, I'll do. Not the same Paul that was traveling, or Saul that was traveling before, is it? No, something's different about this man who's on the ground. Something is different. Something has transpired in him. He is not the same anymore. And the most stubborn and obstinate heart on the planet, the Lord can do this with. You've got to believe me when I say that. You've got to understand. Just like Miss Amy was talking about just a moment ago. She's been praying for her cousin her whole life. For a long time. And now the Lord has saved that person. And he's still in that business today. Understand that in an instant and very quickly, the Lord can break the heart of man. The second thing that I want you to see, what shall I do, Lord? Shows us at this moment, after hearing, of his, after hearing of his sin, after learning of Jesus, how did he learn of his sin? The Lord told him. It's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He realizes this because he had already slaughtered Stephen. So he realizes his sin, and after learning of Jesus, Saul now relinquishes all rights, all rights to the Son of God. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear it. Saul now relinquishes all rights of himself. To the Lord. What shall I do, Lord? Saul's not saying, what am I going to do? I'm going to go over here and do this and that. No. His entire will, his entire thought process, everything about him, who he is, is now different. It is now changed. He begins to think different. He begins to act different. What shall I do, Lord? Saul had planned his steps. Saul had planned his steps. He was on his way to Damascus. But the Lord now is going to direct his path. And I love that. Because we need him for that. Who Saul was, what he was, all that he aspired to, he now gives up to Jesus to be obedient to Jesus by faith. This is so clear. You know, he was a hot mess. People feared him. He had been exalted. He, man, you talk about somebody that, that people was just terrified of but yet looked up to. It was Saul. And in a moment, Saul gives everything up to fall under the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be obedient to Him, 
to walk after Him, to take orders from Him. What shall I do, Lord? You know what that's called? Surrender. I recall a young man that heard the word surrender one time and the Lord completely changed his life. And he's sitting in here with us today. This is what's taking place with Saul. He surrendered. He raised the white flag. Saul here in this moment is taken into the Lord's custody and care. Third, what shall I do, Lord? Shows us a heart now that is speaking words of obedience transformed by the grace of God. I'm going to say it again. It shows us a heart that is now speaking words of obedience transformed by grace that comes from the Lord. And guess what? He's doing this through faith. What shall I do, Lord? He's relinquished all of his rights. He's given up everything that he is. And now he's saying, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Saul had found grace much like Noah in the eyes of the Lord. Yes or no? Absolutely, without a doubt. And you see, you see this pattern conveyed all the way through Scripture. Uh, primarily you see it in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 3, 4, and 5. You see this. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but the, one of the very first things you see with Paul is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul was spiritually bankrupt. He was poor. This was a man that needed something that he did not have. And then the second one you see is blessed are they that mourn, for they shall what? Be comforted. Paul or Saul was in a position of mourning. He was trembling and he was scared to death. Being standing in front of the almighty God. Couldn't even look up to him. It blinded him. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. And then we see that new, that new being after that brokenness and after that mourning. We see then something come in that's not natural for a person and it's called meekness. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And this is exactly what is taking place with Saul. The Lord has got him right where he wants him. Got him right where he wants him. Here Saul's meekness is shining through. It's shining through. Saul here with this is foregoing power and he's foregoing fame to humbly submit to the complete authority of Jesus in humility. 
He is not no longer his own. He belongs to another. He's been bought with a price. Sin has been applied to his heart. He understands it for the first time. He sees Jesus as a Savior, as the Messiah for who he truly is. He sees that he sinned against this Messiah. And now we see him submitting to the will of the one that's standing before him, which was Jesus Christ. What would you have me to do, Lord? Saul, in this text, is here submitting by faith to the Lord. See, to pose that question and to ask that question to the Lord means that he has to be stepping out by faith, doesn't it? What would you have me to do? Meaning, whatever you tell me to, I will do. And we see that he does just that. Get up and stand on your feet according to Acts 26. Stand on your feet and go to Damascus. And when you get there, I'll tell you what to do. And what does Saul do? Oh, there's no argument given. He gets up and he goes. It's an exercise of faith on Saul's part. So we see faith executed by Saul. And listen to me, I'm almost done. Pay attention. And so as we sum this up, the three things, as we, as we sum this up, and before we get into the rest of the conversation that the Lord had with Saul in chapter 26, because there is a lot there. He's going to show him in detail what he's going to be doing. But just a little bit at a time. So that Saul would continue to trust him by faith. You know that he does that? We talked a little bit about this last Sunday night. What if he showed you everything out there all at once for the rest of your life? Do you think you would have to live by faith or not? Joanne, you wouldn't have to live by faith. You'd say, okay, that's cool. Let's do it. But what's he do? He gives us a little bit at a time. That way he is a lamp unto our Feet and a light unto our... He doesn't give us all at the same time. He doesn't show us the whole way right away. That'd scare you to death. If he had showed that to me at 13 when I was saved, I'd have been like, you're crazy. I am never going to preach. Ever. But at the 18 years of age, he says, I've called you to preach. Go testify of my name. And then at 24, I finally did. And so he reveals things to us. And we step out by faith and he shows us a little more and a little more. And this is exactly what's happening with Saul. He says, go to Damascus. When you get there, I'm going to tell you what to do. But between that period of time, there is a long conversation. More like a monologue, really. That Jesus tells to Saul. And you can see that in Acts 26, 16, 17, and 18. If you want to turn there, you're more than welcome to. But listen to this as I, as I close this morning. In our text today, we can truly see the process of Saul's conversion. We can. He's made aware of his sin. He is humbled by sin. And by faith, he surrenders himself to Jesus. 
Plain and simple. My question for you is will you do the same? Can you, like Paul or Saul, ask the question, What shall I do, Lord? Maybe you're a child of God. You should be still asking this question. What shall I do, Lord? Day by day, as we go through our sanctification process, we should still be asking this question. Show us, lead us, guide us, mold us, make us to look more like you. What should I do, Lord? For those that are lost and have been made aware of their sin... The question stands that you should be asking the Lord, what shall I do, Lord? And the good news is that He has given us the answer. Repent and believe the gospel. So my question stands, will you do that today? You know, as Christians, we we gather a lot of baggage, don't we? We got like two people. Say amen to that. Oh man, come on. Stay with me for just a few more minutes. As Christians, we carry a lot of baggage. Anybody testify to that? I got it, man. I got the baggage. I carry it. Sins of the past, a lot of times I bring back up and I don't want to lay them down. We need to be asking ourselves the questions. What shall I do, Lord? And then when he reveals the answer, do it. And for the lost, it's no different. And so I'm going to leave you with that this morning. Tonight we're going to be looking a little bit more in depth to this and into the conversation in chapter 26. And so I ask that you would come back tonight for that at 5 o'clock. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray.